welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. If I ask you to picture a great artist, what do you think of? If you're like me, then the image that comes to mind is that of the dark, moody, tortured introvert who reshapes his trauma into great works of art, working long hours late at night, slowly pushing loved ones away as he sacrifices everything for his work. Sounds like a good movie, right? But the more we look at creativity, the less realistic this lone wolf really seems. Creativity connects us. It helps us better understand ourselves and each other, and it brings people together in a way that nothing else can. And while it can seem impossible to fit creativity in our way too busy schedules, I know that the way that it can help us form relationships and figure out our place in the grand scheme of things is an invaluable blessing that will help us in every facet of our lives. In this episode of the Lisa Show series on creativity, we'll be talking to a number of creatives all about connection, connection to ourselves, connection to those around us, and connection to a higher power. And we'll do all this in an effort to answer that one question, why is practicing creativity worth it? I talked to director Jed Wells, as well as researcher Jack Goncalo, and my brother, guitarist for Maroon 5, James Valentine. But first, I asked the Council of Moms this week, consisting of improvisers Lauren Johnston, Katie Craig, Jasmine Jackman, and Kimberly Beatty, about how creativity helps them better understand themselves. Here's Lauren. I know, um, for me, improv is kind of my creative outlet of choice, and it's been so helpful to bring me back to myself as far as reminding myself that I'm, you know, I'm not just a wife and a mom and whatever else I'm doing, but I'm, I'm Lauren and it's a way to express me and be, um, really vulnerable and, um, just honest in the way that I perform. And it's also so helpful because I think it's so very connective to other people because you're being vulnerable. It's very easy to connect. And so it helps strengthen, you know, your relationships with other people, which um, have lasted, you know, a lifetime and will last a lifetime. No one's getting out of these relationships. It sounds like a beautiful threat. <laughs> it is. I like it. I love that insight from Lauren. Creativity requires us to be vulnerable and honest. Here's what Katie had to add. I think about the difference from like the beginning of um, one of our rehearsals to the end. Like I think about how you feel when you get there and you might feel a little bit tight and you're carrying all the stuff of the day and you're thinking about, ooh, this and that and this and that. And then um, as we get there, then we kind of start to like open and peel and like slow down and um, soften and um, share with each other and laugh. And um, I guess usually like at the end of, you know, like our opening, the song that we sing when we're like just sharing about our day, then everyone's like, you feel loose and you feel... Um, you feel different. You feel connected, like you're saying, Lauren. You feel more connected to yourself, and you feel like you've unpacked a lot of the stuff that you were carrying around. It has kind of a therapeutic feeling, and so that by the end, that you know, when you go home, then you feel kind of like recharged, but also a little bit exhausted. It's kind of like a little workout in a way, an emotional workout. 
Performing has helped me during intense mothering times. So when I had five little kids, uh, my husband worked a lot. He was getting a grad degree. I mean, it was kind of a ridiculous schedule. So I would regularly tuck my kids into bed and run over to Valor. It was a music venue late on a Monday night to rehearse and to perform with the Thrillionaires. So improv comedy was the perfect creative outlet for me at this time. I could and I had to use my experiences and emotions and be in the moment and also take a mental break from worrying about housework and bedtime routines and emotional caretaking and bills and just be in the moment and play. And it helped that I was with other people as well. It was a social element that I needed at this time, really to be me and to be in the moment because they gave me permission. So it helped me let go of that needless mom guilt that we all have of, you know, taking time away from our kids to do something for ourselves. You know, somehow performing with other people gave me that push, like they're relying on me, they need me (laughs) to get over that hump of mom guilt, you know? And it reminded me that I was a person and not a parent in those moments because I had to focus. And now that my kids are at a totally different developmental stage, I can see that need more, especially during that intense time. And really the benefit that it's given to me now, I developed skills. I got better. I never lost myself or who I was really deep down. And I took those intense emotions and experiences, like those ridiculous experiences that you don't know what to do with, and I made them into a character or a storyline or a song. You know, I processed them and turned them into something. And that feels good. It feels useful. I absolutely agree, because I um, I am a mother to three. I have twins who are four years old and were recently diagnosed with autism. They require so much of me, and it is so lovely to go somewhere and to create something and realize I am a person. I'm not just a mom. I'm not a special needs mom right now. I'm Kimberly, and I I love this. Whatever your creativity looks like, I think it's true that we learn a little bit about ourselves as we try to make something new. I asked researcher Jack Goncalo about how this idea is supported by the data. Here's what he had to say. One of the things that we're finding too is that um, in a 2020 paper with uh, another student, Josh Katz, we were looking at um, how being creative feels like an act of self-disclosure. So if I ask you to be creative, you're not just responding like a computer, sort of generating options that you're then sharing. You're actually looking within yourself to your past personal experiences and idiosyncratic preferences. And the ideas that you share end up being, end up feeling like you've revealed something. So it feels self-disclosing. This self-disclosure that Jack is describing reminds me of what Lauren said at the start of the episode. Creativity asks us to be vulnerable and honest. It makes sense then that by sharing that vulnerability with others, it will foster a connection between both parties. Jack shared about what his research had to say about this connection. Um, And we also looked at people who interacted to share creative ideas Mm -hmm. uh, with each other. And so we had them generate creative ideas, then read them to each other. So here's what I came up with. 
And then we ask them to rate the other individual's personality. And then how confident are you that you're right about them? And when we asked them to generate creative ideas together, they were more confident that they knew who this person was. Now, mind you, they didn't necessarily like them more, but they felt like they knew them better, which is a which is a step toward forming a relationship. And so if I ask you, for example, this is from our study, to generate alternative uh, new creative ideas for candle scents, and somebody came up with zombie farts and the apocalypse and rotting milk in a hot car, Mm -hmm. you could probably guess the gender of that individual. I'm not naming any. (laughs) (laughs) You could probably guess the age of that. You can guess something (laughs) about their humor. Mm -hmm. Their TV watching habits. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so when we're being creative, you're afraid of rejection, not because of the idea of being rejected, but because it's you personally, right? And your personal experiences when you share something with the world um, that's being rejected. And so I think, that you know, the being creative um, is risky for that reason. It also is an opportunity for forming a relationship with someone because you start through this process of working on a creative project together, you start to really understand who they are mm-hmm. as people, and which is really the first step toward strengthening a relationship tie. I love what Jack is describing here, and it reminds me of abstract expressionist art. Now, while you might not know right off the bat what art I'm talking about, I'm willing to bet that you've seen some abstract expressionist pieces. Jackson Pollock, for example, you know, created huge paintings by throwing different colored paint onto a blank canvas, creating paint splatter pieces that people often use as examples of quote-unquote modern art. And while our tendency is to look at a bunch of splatter paint and say, I don't get it. The thing with abstract expressionism is that just as important as the painting itself is the artist and the emotions the artist experienced in the moment of creating the work of art. And while when I look at Jackson Pollock's paintings, I might not be able to tell you exactly what the painting itself means, I do feel like I know the artist a little better. I feel like their art gives me a little peek into what they feel and why they do what they do. And this can make me feel connected to someone who I've never even met. And while most of us probably aren't creating giant works of abstract art, I mean, we should, we are sharing pieces of ourselves with others through the things that we are creating every day. My little brother James is the guitarist for Maroon 5, and I had to ask him about this idea that creativity connects us to each other. I mean, he's been in a band with the same group of guys for years and years, so if anyone has experienced creating a community, it's him. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, creating music with a group, that's one of my favorite things to do, and I feel like, you know, since I was a kid, being in a group always appealed to me because we show up into, we get into a room and then the ball starts getting passed around. And, and you know, it's, it's like, I love playing tennis and, and I could go hit against a wall yeah, by myself. You could do that. Sure. And I, you, you could get a workout and it's, you know, essentially the same thing, or you're hitting a ball. But you get on the court with somebody else, you don't know where they're going to hit it. 
You end up in different positions that you couldn't have imagined. And writing music is the same thing. You, you get into the room with somebody, you start talking about what's going on in your life and connections are drawn that you never would have come up with by yourself. And that's why it's always going to be more productive to sit down and write a song with someone else. I mean, it's great when you're when you're inspired and, and sit alone in a room and 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 have those you know sort of very personal thoughts that you can put out. But but it's so much more fun to bounce those off of someone else. Yeah. And then if you get a group of people, then there's just more combinations of the ball bouncing around and even more unexpected places. Can you think of a time where you were writing a particular song or something happened where you felt like this is the best, like we're all creating something really special, this is the creative flow? Is there a moment or two that like sticks out? Oh, yeah, I mean, we've I've had tons of tons of moments like that. There's um you know, I always think just because it was it was a very important song for us early on when Adam and I wrote She Will Be Loved. You know, I was, I, when I was growing up learning jazz, we learned a lot of bossa nova tunes and I was I always loved those, those patterns on guitar. And so I was playing this bossa nova pattern and I, was, I wouldn't have thought much of it. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that it would have been turned into a song for our band. But Adam heard it and said, hey, wait, that's cool. And so he had an idea for the melody, and he started playing on the guitar the melody that would become She Will Be Loved. And and we, we kind of put this thing together, but he didn't have any words for it. And I went to sleep and woke up in the morning. He woke me up. He literally woke me up. He was like, hey, listen to this. And he had written all the words to She Will Be Loved. And... We we're like, oh man, okay, this is a special one. Wow. This could be, this could be a big song. Uh, that was a really fun moment, and it was. While some of us are being creative in big, flashy ways, like singing and dancing on a stage or painting or sculpting, lots of us are also being creative in more subtle, everyday ways, like reorganizing the garage or finding a new solution to your accounting spreadsheet. My friend and film director, Jed Wells, shared an example of unconventional creativity. Yeah, what we're, what we're trying to do when we express something creatively, which isn't to say, too, that like... Creativity means um, getting out a paintbrush and an easel or making a, a photograph, right? Mm -hmm. My father-in-law is a retired uh, electrical contractor and general contractor, and I don't know anybody as creative as, as Dave. Um, his ability to solve problems or to, like, see into, like, the guts of a house, just looking at the walls and being able to trace where the electricity is going... Like, even to understand the pulse and flow of electricity is something that I marvel at. And it, yeah, he doesn't think about it. It's a, it's a, it's just the way that he approaches the world. And I would be daft to say that he's not creative in what he does. 
Like I mentioned at the start of this episode, creativity enriches our lives through connection. Connection to ourselves by helping us better understand who we are and how we're feeling. Connection to others by being vulnerable and honest and allowing others to do the same. And lastly, connection to something bigger than ourselves. There's an undeniable spiritual component to creativity, and people use different words for it, spirit, magic, flow, but the experience of creating in many different ways connects us to the divine, something outside ourselves that we can't always articulate. Now, I think... It's our divine inheritance as children of God to create. And I used to separate the way that I see creativity from my faith. I put it in the category of a talent or skill. But the more experience I have with creativity and and being artistic, and certainly in creating a podcast series on it, I'm more convinced that it's a spiritual gift within everyone. And as part of that gift, we need to figure out how to express it and practice it and engage in that struggle to create and to feel the joy in it. And it's everywhere. And when we cut ourselves off to it and make up arbitrary rules about who can and cannot be creative, we deny in ourselves and in others that divine right. Yeah, that's how seriously I take creativity. I was joking with my friend and artist Jed Welves about headstones and about how I already have one. And it prompted him to say this about how creativity helps him make sense of his own mortality. What else can we do but embrace that kind of impermanence, right? To like, I think that's the essence of creativity, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm one of those guys that goes around quoting Rilke, but Rilke, it was like, basically describes it as like the fragrance of our days, right? I mean, like, and he's translated and mistranslated all all different kinds of ways, but I love that phrase Mm -hmm. of, is not impermanence the very fragrance of our days? And I think like, I think for a long time, I felt like that was an affliction that I had, like this awareness of, impermanence, the awareness of like the passing away of my kid's childhood as it was happening. Yeah. And, you know, in ways I, I did make that an affliction. I, it made it hard to um, enjoy the present and all of that stuff. But, you know, I'm working through those things. But I also think it's what fuels my desire to be creative. I feel like it's my responsibility as a Christian, as anybody else, to try to take what sorrow, what sadness, what stress that I find and and try to make something beautiful out of it. Maybe because like I rely so heavily on other people's creativity, like the role that music plays in my life, the way that we like unwind with a good comedy or even just mindless reality TV. Somebody did something creative and put it into the world so that my day could be a little bit better. Like, I feel that as a very generous act. Yeah, I guess I see a a kind of responsibility. Obligation is probably too heavy a word. Um, It's bogged down in, in other things, but it feels like this is a gift that I have. This is a way that, like you said, that I see the world. It feels like my responsibility or my calling to kind of arrange beauty out of those things and, you know, If anybody is interested, let them see it. (laughs) 
I absolutely love that. When confronted with his own mortality and the impermanence of life, Jed is trying to turn those deep, intense emotions into art that can connect us to each other and to God. I asked Jed to tell me about a time when being creative connected him to not just others, but to something bigger. And here's the story that he shared. Well, let me back up. I I was going to be an actor. I had an agent and was going to do the whole thing. I didn't have a great experience with an agent, but I loved being on stage. I loved um, just that whole act of of being with a group unified in a mission to... Mm-hmm perform something to delight an audience. And I loved it so much. I loved every part of it. I loved the smell of the theater. I loved the stink in our costumes that would been shared for generations. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I loved that kind of electricity that exists between the cast that has been practicing a thing for months. And we've kind of developed this relationship, this family that's going to disband in a week or so. Um, like, I learned to like read a room. Like I knew just from the vibration of an audience, just the way that they took in air, like I could tell what this audience needed and how to goose this line or how to really milk the emotion here. Um, and I and I really felt like this was this was what I was going to do. And one of the earliest experiences there, I was in a play called Dancing at Lunasa by Brian Friel, which for a, you know, a, a junior in high school, um, it didn't seem like the thing that made the most sense that would like be the, the thing that changed my life. But I was a, I was a headstrong, independent kid. And this, this play is about the dissolution of a family. And I was playing the kid as an adult. So, uh, so Brian Friel, lots of his work is is like that. It deals in memory, and he'll have a character that's either present as a character in a scene, or, in my case, uh, it was just a narrator. But would sometimes slip into the scene and speak. But it was mostly these kind of narrative monologues. And I remember getting to just in the read through. I'm getting to that last monologue and. I couldn't get through it. Like it was too, it was too emotional. Um, as he talked about the way that dance has kind of informed his life throughout, because of the way that his, you know, his uh, deadbeat dad would dance with his mom when he visited every few months. You know, he wasn't a dad; he wasn't there present. But in those in those moments of like seeing them together. Mm-hmm. Um. It was it was too much for like the seventeen year old me um, and I could see and probably didn't um do as much as I should have, but I could see the way that I was uh ignoring those things in my own family, the way that I was running away from conversations with my dad, the way that I was um, hiding from my mom, um, the relationships I wasn't building with my siblings. And it, it rearranged the furniture of my soul. And it wasn't because I was acting. I wasn't a great actor. I was, I was really feeling this thing. 
it comes back to this this gift that I feel like if I can if I can help somehow, even if like the work the creative work that I do isn't in explaining the atonement of Jesus Christ or the truly beautiful things that are in the Quran and that we can find in the Dharma as well. Like even if what I do doesn't point directly to those things, if I can direct a sketch comedy show that gives somebody a lift one day, there's value in that. It feels like um, it's not unbeautiful. There are a thousand ways that we can make somebody's life a little bit more bearable. In upcoming episodes of The Lisa Show, we'll dig into more specific ways that creativity can fit into your busy life. But for now, as we wrap this episode, I want to focus on what Jed just said. If we can make someone's life even just a little more bearable, isn't it worth it? If creating can connect us to ourselves, to others, and to God, isn't it worth taking the time to figure out What does creativity mean to me? And how can I be a little more creative every day? The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. The show is hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with help from Tabitha Freitas, Michael Combs, Avery Stonely, and Victoria Rymington with music and post production by Josh Fouts and Gracie Davis. 